the Lord is not shocked or surprised. And uh, the Lord is not concerned that things are getting out of his control. He is still God. He, I say again, he is still God. And uh, now as a church, we should pray. Um, it's imperative. I, I'm not... I'm not scared. Uh, some people are. Um, my hope is in him. My hope is in him. He who is in control. Uh, now, I'm not sticking my head in the sand either. But we pray and we pray in faith and we wait on God and we pray the will of God in the matter. Uh, I, I was... I was praying early this morning. I, I woke up quite early in the hotel room where I was. I'm not sure it was if it was God that woke me up or the snowplow at three o'clock outside. <laughs> so then I was wide awake, and so snowplow might have woke me up, but God kept me awake. Um, and uh, and praying about. Situation and circumstances in Eastern Europe, and of course, we, we know people in Ukraine. In the Ukraine, um, we have people who have ministered here uh, in Sila that have family in the Ukraine. Um, many of you remember the, uh, or many of you know of the Tomyevs that were in Puyallup for a season. Uh, they have family there. I did see a message from, um, you remember the Masons that came here and ministered before they went back over to Kiev and were ministering in Kiev and in Azerbaijan. Um, they, are, they are not there presently, they're, but they still have family there. And uh, she has communicated, Sister Mason has communicated that her, uh, some of her sisters, they're all safe right now. They're praying. Uh, as we are. And so, um, I am, I was praying this morning uh, for the church in the Ukraine and the people. Um, and it was interesting. I, I almost felt like the Lord, um, I, I guess just the Lord pricked me. And uh, he said, pray for the church in Russia, too. And pray for the people there, too. See, see, God doesn't have a side. At least as far as nations go. You understand? He, he desires to save every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Now, we may have ideas about what's right and wrong, and clearly the Lord defines right and wrong by his word and by his spirit. And, but I assure you, he is not political. You understand? He is in the business of souls, not the business of politics. And um, you understand, I'm not justifying the actions of men that make evil decisions, you understand. But we are praying for souls, not for nations to win. <laughs> I think it's important to understand that. We can call out nations in prayer. I think that's biblical. We are praying for the souls of men. And... The Lord, in his infinite wisdom, can allow things to take place. Because you understand, nothing can happen if he doesn't allow it. The powers that be, they are ordained of God. There is no power given but by God. That's the word. That's the word. And so, he allows those things, and he always 
has the final say. God always has the final say. And so that's why it's important when we pray, we be very careful. I believe it's important to be careful that we not just latch on to uh, any rhetoric and begin to pray according to that mindset. Well, I heard the news, I read the news, I saw the news, so I'm praying this way. No, what we do is we find a closet of prayer, a place of prayer, we wait on the Lord, and we should be led by the Spirit of God in praying about a situation. That way we will pray His will into it, not ours. You understand? This is important. And so I would like us to pray for the will of God in that region. Could you do that with me? Could we agree together? And I I think it's perfectly well and good to pray for the people in Ukraine. Pray for the people in Russia. Pray for the goodness of God to prevail. Pray for evil to be destroyed. I think we can pray those things. And uh, let's pray the will of God from all this. It will arrest the attention of people. And if that serves the kingdom, praise God. If it serves the kingdom, praise God. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we trust in you, the sovereign, holy God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our confidence and our hope rest firmly in you. We look to you. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the first and the last. You are the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. We trust in you. We pray your kingdom and your will there in Eastern Europe and Russia. We pray the work and the will of God there. We pray stay the hand of darkness and let light so shine. I pray let your spirit and word prevail in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, where darkness would try to reign, I pray let light prevail. Let the light of truth prevail. Let the light of the word of God prevail. Let the will of God be accomplished in the souls of men. Let the will of God be accomplished through this crisis so that you would be glorified, that men would be drawn to you. Let it serve your purpose in the earth, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray your will in all of this. We pray the sparing of souls, the sparing of lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let your will to be done. Let your word to be done. I pray a hedge about the people of God in those nations, a hedge about their homes, about their families. Let the peace of God and the blood of Christ cover them. In Jesus' name, I pray, let darkness be pushed back and let light prevail. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. As it already is in heaven, so in earth. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ha remosita namasito nono moyesha. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Nino mosaye, elo bosanto rea. I pray, Lord of armies, as you've done throughout ages gone by. I pray by your spirit, 
and by your word fight on behalf of your people that the will of God would be accomplished in all of this. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, your will be done. Your will be done. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We must give ourselves to prayer. We must give ourselves to prayer. Um, the there is always you could be seated. There is always a risk. There's always a risk of. Uh, becoming casual or complacent about things going on in our world because we're so accustomed to a news cycle that after a while we just move on to the next story or because it may be far removed from us geographically, we may go to a place of prayer for a moment Pray about it and then move on. The scripture says, know this. Know this, it says. In the last days, perilous times will come. It's in the word. It says we should know that. That in the last days, perilous times will come. So, uh, you understand, I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. I'm telling you what the Word says. And sometimes we, especially in North America, we have the idea that, well, God will give us in this life peace and blessing and rest and favor and no trouble and no pain and everything will be good and therefore we're in the will of God. Otherwise, if it's not that way, then we're out of the will of God. Well, that's just not true. I, I mean, I've, I've read the Bible a few times and I just, that's just not true. He will give blessing. He will do those things, but those are not a measure of being in his will or not. Paul spent most of his adult life in prison. And it was the will of God. It was the will of God. Because if he hadn't have been in prison, he'd have been finding some other place to go on another missionary journey. And the Lord needed him riding for a while. And so he said, you're not going to those places. Write them letters. And so in prison, he wrote letters. And you and I, those letters make up over half of the New Testament. 13 or 14 books, depending on who you believe wrote Hebrews. His suffering was God's design. Now you said, man, are you telling me we're all going to suffer? I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that if you live for him long enough, you will have suffering. It's his design. It's his design. We have to have fellowship with his suffering if we want to also know the power of his resurrection. We identify with Christ through his suffering. Right? And so, uh, some of the greatest revivals or in our world have come in places of great suffering. And the challenge in North America could be at times that we're so comfortable that nothing takes us to our knees in prayer. 
I promise you, the church in Ukraine is praying tonight. You believe that? I promise you, no one's having to encourage them to pray. If there's those there that have heard truth that have went away, I promise you they're thinking about it tonight. There could, why? Because persecution at times has a way of arresting our attention. And the Lord in his infinite wisdom loves us so much that he'll use what he has to to arrest our attention if it will draw us back to him. So we must be sensitive to prayer. The Lord is taking us somewhere. We have a part. We've spent a lot of time talking about the body of Christ and him placing us and being in the body and a part of the body. The body is not limited to Selah. The body is across the earth. And so we give ourselves to prayer. Amen. Um, I am asking all who will. Over the next five days. Uh, uh, between tomorrow through Tuesday at a minimum. Over the next five days. Would you set aside a day of fasting and focused prayer? All right. Push away from the table. Cut off all the other stuff. Get alone with God in those places that would be meal times or that you might feel some other way. And let's fellowship the Spirit of God and wait on God and find the mind of Christ. Amen. Can we do that together? Amen. Um, not, please don't misunderstand me. Not just, this is not just about what's going on in the Ukraine. This situation there is affecting the world right now. You understand? It's, effect, it's got the world's attention. To me, that's a perfect time for the church to be the church. And so we are fasting and praying over these next few days. Yes, as the Holy Ghost leads us, we'll pray for Ukraine and Russia and people there that are impacted. You understand? But we are waiting on the mind of God and praying for a sensitivity in the leading of his spirit that we as the people of God would have a boldness and be aware of where and what he's doing and do our part. Amen. It's critical. You say, man, you're being pretty serious. I think it's serious. I think it's serious. And I thank God. Because if that's what it's take for, for the church to realize this is serious. So be it. We're not just doing Sunday and Thursday and having a good time. Feel the presence of God. It's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. No, no, no. There is an eternity and there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And souls are weighed in the balance of eternity. And the hour's late. And so you and I must work while it's day. Because the night is coming when no man can work. Amen. Amen. I apologize for my voice. I've been using it a lot the last little bit. God is good, isn't he? Amen. I'm sorry for my jeans, too, if I'm a little casual for you tonight. I drove in from Spokane, and I didn't plan properly. And uh, so here I am. My jeans offend you. I apologize. I don't think they do, but I just didn't want you to think I'm starting to get casual and you're going to see me sitting on a stool next week or anything. <laughs> sorry. Amen. Praise God. I want to honor the house of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I have, I have, uh, I've asked Brother Azario if he would take some time tonight and teach specifically. Um, and so I'm asking him to come. Uh, we are recording the audio. Something has happened to our Wi-Fi. So if you come and you play on the Wi-Fi during church, I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. I'm happy for you. But it's not working tonight. Um, so God help you. Um, 
but so we can't stream the video this evening. Um, but uh, we will capture it on audio. I think it'll be important for everybody. Amen. Lazaro, God bless you. Appreciate you. He's a student of the word, and I thank God for that. I learn from that, and it challenges me. Praise God. Good evening, church. Um, just thinking about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, uh, the topic I'm going to teach on, it just really, I feel like it goes hand in hand because uh, we need to know what we believe so that we can reach people that are lost. And um, I want to know who I serve. I want to know who I believe in and trust in. And uh, that's going to be the topic I talk about tonight is, is who God is. So um, I want to start with Genesis chapter 1. We're actually going to read the first two verses. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse two, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then I'll also read verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we see here in the beginning of the Bible, we see that God begins to create. And we saw that his spirit was upon the darkness of the deep. How many persons or spirits was present during creation from what we could see scripturally, biblically? It was just one. And so that's something we can start off, and it's, it's beautiful that we see that right there at the first few verses of the first chapter of the Bible. Then I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This was something that the Jews believed and loved and followed after, and um, they knew it from the beginning, and it's something that was a declaration um, and what separated them from other nations, from other uh, groups of peoples, um, this was, from my understanding, known as the Shema. And we're going to start with verse 4, and we're going to read it. I'm going to read it through verse 7. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So this was something that they believed in and knew to be true. Not only that, they shared it and taught it to their children, and it was something that was on their minds from the moment they woke up throughout their day, whatever they were doing throughout their day, till the, the point of them laying down and going back to sleep. It was constantly on their minds, and it's something they lived by, something that was very important to them. Um, I want to go to Mark chapter 12 just to make a connection between the Old and the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 30. So the Lord right here is talking to the scribes, and he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment, or the greatest commandment. He was taking them back to what the foundation was, letting them know that there's only one. There's not two, there's not three, there's just the holy one. Then I want to go to Isaiah chapter 37. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture. It's very, to me, it's very important that we believe what the scriptures say, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's Isaiah chapter 37. And I'm going to read verse 16.
And it says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. So we see here that there is a declaration going out that God alone made the heavens and the earth. There wasn't multiple people that were helping in the process. It was just God alone. And I want to also go to Isaiah chapter 44, a couple chapters forward. And I'm going to read some verses out of here. I'm going to start with verse 6. And it says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And uh, before we go to verse, I'll have you go to verse 8, Brother Renee. I also want to throw in there, we see Jesus say this in Revelation, that he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord God. And so we see that connection, that revelation of who God is in his fullness Um, So in verse 8, it says, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. And then also verse 24. Verse 24 starts by saying, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. And so we see this constantly being shared by the Lord to his people. And so, I mean, it's just a constant reminder, like, I'm just one. It's just me by myself. There's no one here with me. There's no one after me. There was no one beside me. It's just me alone. I want to go to... Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse And in this verse, it says, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, and then it goes on to clarify, but God is one. And then I'm going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I, I, I think that that's kind of beautiful that it kind of pairs it together that that is Christ Jesus. One and the same. So we pretty much touched on the topic of how God is one, and I think we get the picture that God is one. I want to jump to the next topic I wanted to Uh, touch on, and that's God is an invisible spirit. Uh, If we could go to John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 18. And it says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And so we see that he's an invisible spirit. The beautiful thing about this is we see that it was in the incarnation of the Son that God was made manifest to the world, that that's how he was declared. And then I want to go to John four twenty four. And it says, John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we know that God is a spirit. We can't see a spirit. 
and I just shared a little bit ago from the previous verse about how because of the incarnation of Christ Jesus, that it was God manifesting himself to the world in flesh. And so I want to go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is prophetic of the Messiah, of the Lord. And we see in verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is speaking of Christ, and we know that he is the Son, but it's interesting that it refers to him as the everlasting father in this passage of scripture and prophecy. And that he is the mighty God, the one that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And so um, I'm just thankful for the revelation that we're getting from reading these scriptures. And then I want to go to uh, John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we go down to verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've seen that example in Genesis when it said that God was there at creation, and then he began to speak and his word was expressed, and then uh, something was created afterwards. And so we see that God's word and his spoken word isn't separate from himself. It, it's, it's him. Um, and it was a form of his expression, and it had a creative power to it that began to form and create the world that we live in today. And so we see that that same word that had power to create became manifest, put on flesh, and dwelt among us. And they were able to witness the glory, the glory of the Father, which is God Almighty, and who they knew in reference to from Deuteronomy 6.4. And then I want to go to John chapter 20, verse 28. And so with these verses, and we're going to read it right now, I'm basically stating that Jesus, from what we know as the Son, is God manifested in the flesh. Revealed to men, revealed to mankind, his own creation. And so we're going to see um, a revelation that one of his disciples gets in John chapter 20, verse 28. And we see that it's doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when he revealed himself. And so he said, I'm not going to believe until I stick my hands in his side and put it into his wrists. Uh, I'm not going to believe. And so people refer to him as Doubting Thomas. But this is where he gets the revelation of, of who Christ is. And it says right here, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. He got that revelation that this has to be the Christ. This has to be the Messiah that we, we've been waiting for. God come in the flesh to deliver his people and to give them salvation. And then I want to go to 1 Timothy 3.16. And all these scriptures that we're reading, it's all in reference to Christ. It's all in reference to Jesus. So 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And this passage just makes me think of the gospel story, basically of what God came to do in the flesh when he manifested himself. 
that he, um, you know, died, was buried, and resurrected. And this is kind of talking about the ministry that he had of, you know, his life. That's, to me, it just kind of summed it up in that one verse and how at the very end that he's received up in the glory. And then I want to go to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. You know, I'm, I'm sharing all these scriptures, but it's, it's, I believe it's very important that we know why we believe what we believe, and we have scriptures to back them up, you know. And to be honest with you guys, I know we're reading a lot of scripture, but this is actually the condensed version. So, <laughs> you know, but I want to make sure that we, we get it and we see it for ourselves. I know one thing that helped me out when I was coming to the Lord was actually reading the scriptures for myself and getting the revelation, you know, God giving me that revelation says in his word that if we seek, we will find. If we knock, it shall be open to us. So um, I believe that's what we're doing, and it's sharpening our faith and our, and our reasons for why we believe what we believe. Um, so Colossians 1.15, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And then I want to go to Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 13. And it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is that great God that we're waiting for his appearance. Amen. I want to go to uh, John chapter 14, uh, verse 8. The Lord is going to give his disciples revelation they're going to ask him some questions, and he's going to answer it. And um, I like this passage of Scripture. So John chapter 14, I'm going to start in verse 8. And it says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us, or we will be satisfied. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So he was trying to give them a revelation that the only reason that me as a man that you can see can do the miracles and the things that I'm able to do supernaturally, it's only because of the spirit that dwells within me that's producing these things and giving them a revelation that he is God manifested in the flesh and that he's doing it for them, you know, to show them that he is the Messiah that they've been waiting for this whole time. Then I want to go to Zechariah chapter 11, verse 4. And this is prophetic um, of what God would do as the Messiah. Um, these were scriptures that they were holding to when they, when they would be able to witness the Messiah. It would be something that would... Um, cause them to look back and confirm, yes, this is him. So, uh, Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, Thus saith the Lord my God, feed the flock of the slaughter. And then I want to go to verse 12, and it says, And I said unto them, If you think not, or if you think good, give me my price, 
and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. We know that when Judas Iscariot betrayed Christ, it was for 30 pieces of silver. And so that was fulfilling the scriptures from what we see from the Old Testament. And it was clarifying that Jesus was God Almighty. And then I'm going to go to Zechariah chapter 12, so the next chapter. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 10. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. And then in verse 10 it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is the Lord speaking, God Almighty, Jehovah or Yahweh of the Old Testament. And he says, they're going to look upon me, the ones that they, you know, the one they pierced. And we know that they pierce him. Um, the Roman soldier pierces him, and we see that blood and water mix comes out, and it signifies who he is. And, and when you read that passage of Scripture, it almost leads me to believe that that soldier got a revelation, even though he wasn't a Jew. You know, by the way, he honored Christ afterwards with that experience. And so some things I wanted to touch on that's not in the notes um, is that we look at God come in the flesh as our Savior, dying on the cross, pouring his blood out, allowing us to come in right relationship with him, um, giving us his spirit, um, it was all for a purpose so that we can attain salvation. And we see the titles of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we know him as Father in relationship and in creation. We know him as the Son in um, redemption, and we also know him as the Holy Ghost in action, him in activity through our lives, uh, working through our lives, impacting others' lives. And so... I wanted to actually go here. I think it's Colossians 2.9, I believe. Just to make that connection. It says in Colossians 2.9, For in him, referring to Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when we think of the Godhead, um, you'll, hear the peop you'll hear people that refer to the Trinity, they'll use the term Godhead. Well, I think in the Godhead, it, it, it just means God in his entirety. You can't kind of distinguish, you know, or separate him. So within that grouping of what you would call the Godhead, I would dare say that we can add in um, the when God came to Abraham and was overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah in a manifestation, talking with Abraham, saying, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham telling him, if there's 50 righteous, would you do it? And goes all the way down to 10. So we see that that manifestation would, 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 be have, or it would have to be in the Godhead as well. Uh, we see that he wrestles with uh, Jacob before he comes Israel in the form of a man. And Jacob declares after that, he says that he saw God face to face. And I believe he called the place Peniel. And um, he didn't walk the same. He was changed. He was different. His name was changed. He had a new identity. And um, we would have to throw that manifestation in the Godhead. You know, you go to Exodus and you see Moses out there in the wilderness uh, shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And he, his attention gets caught by a burning bush. And so he goes over there to see why this bush hasn't been consumed. God begins to talk to him through that bush. Um, and begins to tell him what he was to do. So with that being said, that bush, that manifestation of God in the form of a burning bush would have to be thrown into the Godhead. And so if you're, and there's so many others. Uh, there's Samson's parents that had an encounter with God and asked him his name, and he says, my name's a secret. And then they, and as that sacrifice is burning, it goes up and ascends. So, we understand that it's just God and 
many manifested ways uh, that he communicates with his creation. Um, and the way I, I look at it is, and, and I can describe it is, you know, I can be a father to my kids if I have kids. I don't have any. But if I do have kids, I could be a father to my kids. I could be a son to my parents, and I can be a maintenance worker at my job. But I'm still just one person, you know. And my name is Azario. Same thing with God. You know, he's, a, like I said, father in relationship with us, uh, son in redemption, uh, Holy Ghost in action. Um, it's him working through our lives. And, uh, but yet he's still just one God. And right now we know him as Jesus Christ because it declares the salvation that he's given us, you know, when you define that name. Um, and I'm just so grateful that he did it for us because of his love. He didn't have to. You know, we look at our lives, and I know for me how selfish I can be and um, put God on the back burner at times, but he constantly is always thinking for us and um, looking out for our benefit, you know. And, and I just want to be a blessing to the Lord and do all that I can do to serve him in this life. So that's all I got. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Brother Azario. I know many of you were scribbling those down as he was running through them quickly. And he, like he said to you, you got the condensed version. Um, you got the ultra-condensed version. I, I really respect Brother Azario has dug for himself and gone through the word and... Uh, made it a personal pursuit of his it's important to know who this God is that we serve and to, to worship the one true living God amen it's familiar to many of us in scripture that when the angel of the Lord came to Mary and told her she was with child and then when he appeared to Angel appeared to Joseph and said, oh, by the way, Mary's with child. Uh, in those occasions, the angel of the Lord spoke very clearly, and she said, she is with child of the Holy Ghost. In other words, the declaration of the angel to Mary was, yes, Joseph, you're not the dad. But Joseph, she hasn't been with another man. Joseph the father of the child is the Holy Ghost. She is with child of the Holy Ghost. The declaration of the angel to Mary was the Holy Ghost is the father of this child. You with me? Well, why didn't the angel say, hold on a minute, that's not the function. The father, God is the father. The Holy Ghost isn't the father. The Holy Ghost is a third person. Because that's not scriptural. There are no multiple persons. There's not three persons. Okay, the scripture doesn't teach that. There's only one person. Only one person. His name is Jesus. All right. Hebrews said he is the express image of the invisible God. Not he is a son of the invisible God. He is the express or the only image of the invisible God. All right. The reason that Jews reject Christianity, many Jews reject Christianity, is because of the teaching of God in three persons. They're like, no way. And they go back to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord, and him only shalt thou serve. And so they rejected Christ because they couldn't, because they missed the fact that he was God manifested in the flesh. If you talk to a Jew that is looking for the coming Messiah, they will not tell you they're looking for a second person in the Godhead to come. They will tell you they are expecting God to come as the king. And he will. 
He's going to come and he's going to set his feet upon the earth the second time. But when he does that, he's going to come with his church. And he'll set his feet upon the Mount of Olives as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he'll rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. It will be the beginning of the millennial reign when he comes again to the earth. Now, if that makes you nervous, and you're going, hold on a minute. What about the catching away of the church? What about the rapture? What about when he comes again? Well, I want you to catch what I said. At the rapture, the catching away of the church, the Bible calls it the catching away. He is not coming to the earth. Okay, you got to know the scripture. At the catching away of the church, the Bible is very clear. We will be caught up together to meet the Lord where? In the air. He's not setting foot on earth when he comes to catch away the church. The second time he comes to the earth, we know will be the beginning of the millennial reign because the angel standing just before Pentecost, standing on the Mount of Olives when Christ ascended, said he'll come in like manner as you have seen him go. And he's going to. He's going to come and he's going to descend onto the Mount of Olives. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. When he does, he's coming back with the church because the church will have already been caught away with him, raptured, and we will come back at the millennial reign and rule and reign with him as kings and priests. It's the word of the Lord. So we better know who it is that we serve. We better know who it is that we worship. Amen. Our God is one. And his name is Jesus. This is why I'm finishing here. This is why when Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, you can put that up there if you want, Brother Renee. This was just, these were his last words recorded in Matthew. He said to his disciples, go ye therefore. Verse, uh, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them, notice what he said, they were supposed to baptize them in the what? In the name. He said, baptizing them in the name. Whose name? The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He did not say baptize them in the titles of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, baptize them in the name. Right? So you go to the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter is standing there. The Holy Ghost has been poured out. That's the promise of the Father. It's called in Luke 24. The promise of the Father. Why is it called? Notice, he didn't call it the promise of the Holy Ghost. Jesus called it the promise of the Father. Why? Because the Father would dwell in them. Brothers, I read it in John 14. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And he said, greater works than these sh shall you do because I go to my Father. But he's going to send the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, in my name. It's the promise of the Father because you're going to receive the Father, the Spirit. God is a Spirit. You're going to receive the Father, the Spirit of the Father. All right? So the Holy Ghost has been poured out. Peter's standing there on the day of Pentecost, and if you read all of Acts chapter 2, he's not standing by himself. The other 11 apostles are standing with him. That's called accountability. They heard what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19. Baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And Peter declared to them, because they were pricked in their hearts, they realized, oh my goodness, it was the Messiah. We killed the Messiah. They were pricked in their hearts and they said, men and brethren, Peter and the other apostles, what should we do? And Peter said to them, you should repent. And then you should be baptized, every one of you, in the name. That sounds like what Jesus told him. Baptizing in the name. Of Jesus Christ. Now why didn't Peter say baptize. And every one of you 
be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Well, because Peter and the other apostles understood the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There is only one name. There's only one name. There's only one name. And so he declared it. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, no, 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 no. I, I just, I read the words in red. Well, praise God, I do too. I want to obey the words in red too. And I've searched the scripture. Anywhere the apostles ever taught baptism and anywhere the apostles ever baptized anyone, it was only in the name of Jesus. You never see anyone in the Bible, you never see the apostles baptizing somebody and saying in the name of of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, because that's not a name. We got to know who He is. The idea that God is in three persons is the greatest deception that's ever come to our world. I really believe that. It's the greatest deception it's because it's kept men from knowing God. But there's something happening in this hour. He's revealing himself to those who are seeking after him. Brother Zario referenced it. Those who seek me will find me. And so this is why we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. We're obeying Matthew 28, 19. We're doing exactly what Jesus said. We're baptizing in the name, the only name. Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name matters. It's not just enough to know the name. We need to know who he is. We used to sing a song when I was younger. You can stand with me. That wasn't the name of the song. Um, <laughs> we used to sing a song when I was younger. It said, I know Jesus is the Father. I know Jesus is the Son. I know Jesus is the Holy Ghost. Praise God, these three are one. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the everlasting Father. Amen? It's who He is. I was... I was driving back from Spokane tonight. Every once in a while, I go on these little kicks. And I went back and I just found some old songs. My kids hate it sometimes when I go on those kicks. Not hate's probably not a strong word. They can only endure so much of it sometimes. But I went back and found some of those old songs. And I, there's, there's an old song we used to sing all the time. It's all in him. Some of you know that song. It's all in him. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead, Colossians 2. It's all in him. Emmanuel, the song, the verses say, Emmanuel, God with us. Jehovah, Lord of hosts. The omnipresent spirit who fills the universe. He's the advocate. He's the high priest. And he's the lamb for sinners slain. He's the author of redemption. Oh, glory to his name. It's all in him. I thank God for the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. I don't declare this arrogantly. You understand tonight. I declare this, I declare this with gratitude. That God would reveal himself to mankind. And that we could know his name. The saving name above every other. And that we would have the revelation. That he who knew no sin. Would wrap himself in flesh. And become sin for us. That we could be made the righteousness of God in him. That was the plan and the purpose. And we need the world to get a revelation. Of who Jesus is. And when they do. He will save his people from their sins. Can we worship him right Right now, I feel the presence of the Almighty God in this room. And we worship you, Jesus. 
You are the mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. You are the great I am. And we know you, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for the revelation of the name. We will declare there is but one God, and your name is Jesus. It is the saving name. It is the giving name. It is the redemptive name. It is the all-powerful name. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let your name be exalted. Let your name be glorified. Let your name be magnified. We worship the name of Jesus. We worship the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name that is above every name. Jesus, we worship your name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I praise the name. I praise the name. Hallelujah. Brother Zario read it. I know he said he was giving us the condensed version. But he started in Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created. He read in Isaiah 43. I think Isaiah 43. Uh, that the Lord said, I've created the earth alone all by myself. But then we read in John 1, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning, God. And in Isaiah, the Lord God said, I alone created all this by myself. But then in John 1, John said of Jesus, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Well, either there's this big battle going on in heaven we didn't hear about. Or else the God of the beginning and the God of Isaiah that created all things by himself is the very same God that is the Lord Jesus Christ in John 1 that said all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word of God is full. Is full. Of the fact that there is only one. You won't find anywhere in the word three persons. It's important to know who he is. And who we worship. This is not to point a finger in arrogance or elitism. God forbid towards somebody that doesn't yet have revelation. No, no, no. We need the love of God to flow through us. And we need the spirit of revelation that he so graciously allowed us to have. To come to others and he would use us to speak the word of truth and love so that others would come to know who he is. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Zario, for walking us through some scriptures. If you want that list of scriptures, let him know he can get it to you and he can probably give you about another 70 or 80 to go with it. And that's wonderful. Amen. We need to get back in the word. We need to get back in the word. Let's fall in love with the word. Let's know what we believe and why we believe it. Let's find out what we need to believe that maybe we don't yet. Get in the word. Amen. Can I meddle for 10 seconds? I, this literally just came back into my spirit again. You're going to think like, what does it have to do with everything we just talked about? Nothing. Okay. Some of you may remember a little while back, I made an encouragement 
to many of you, if you have debt, get out of it. I am expressing that again. I'm expressing that again. Now, I realize you may not be able to do that in a day, but have a plan and start doing it. It's important. This isn't just a neat money idea. I hope you understand that. Get out of debt. You're getting an income tax refund. Buy some stuff you need. That's great. Be wise. Get rid of debt. I believe it's going to be critical for the church to get rid of as many things as possible that would restrict or bind us. And debt is a binder. The borrower is a slave to the lender, the scripture says. Now, don't walk out here and go, oh my goodness. This is going to take us a while to do that. That's okay. Get a plan and be a steward and start. Okay? Be a steward, get a plan and start. It's tax season, I know. Don't let that be the opportunity to just go blow everything. Okay. You probably got a good phone. You don't need another $1,200 one. <laughs> Somebody said amen, whether you like it or not. It's true. <laughs> yeah, but they'll give me 800 for my old one. Yes, they will, and you'll go $400 more in debt. Be wise. I, this is important. I took more than 10 seconds. I'm done. God bless you. Greet somebody. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.